Hello, I'm Joyce. I'm June. And I'm Paula. We're the Kavanagh Sisters and we'd like to welcome you to our series of Count Me In podcasts where we continue to shine a light on childhood sexual abuse and its impacts. I think this is one area where we really, our differences are really highlighted because although all throughout our experiences, our storytelling of our past, how it impacted us is never so obviously different as when we talk about the trauma, the impact of the trauma, the complex PTSD. And really just to clarify what we are talking about is the difference between post-traumatic stress and complex post-traumatic stress. And that's fundamentally the length of time that the trauma goes on for. The post-traumatic stress is exposure to a traumatic event, even if it's extended like a war, but it's a a single event in your life. Whereas complex post-traumatic is the ongoing and consistent trauma, like living through it. And specifically as a child, in our case, you know, it's how did you cope with the day-to-day trauma that constant fight or flight it's called complex for a very good reason and it's it's so complex it can be difficult to capture in a conversation and because it involves our entire childhood how we developed how we grew how we thought our behaviors and our opinions all developed out of our abuser being our main you know the center of our world really he was our main caregiver and he was the one that instilled in us all of our thoughts and beliefs and our behaviours because they all had to conform to what he was happy with. And so we became the per- the people that he needed and wanted us to be. And there was nobody to step in and break that. But because the because of the the trauma that we were in on a daily basis, we adapted all of our developmental traits to accommodate him. And they say the younger you are, the, when you're abused, the more responses you actually develop. And you wouldn't have even been aware of that. And you would have never known who you were because you were formed very early Yeah. into what he thought he wanted. And that, yeah, that would have been something that would have fed really good into the confusion and remember we tried to explain it several times that as a child we felt like an adult and as an adult we felt like a child trapped in an adult's body and that was never really got that that as a child the instant you're sexually abused there's a knowledge now that you shouldn't really have been exposed to that you're far too young to comprehend and you haven't got the emotional awareness or intelligence to understand or articulate how that feels or or even what's happening so in your head there's like an awareness that doesn't belong in there doesn't fit it's not you're not ready for it yet but it's there so nearly it's so hard to describe it is. is like an awareness in your head that i know more than i should right now and it makes you feel older than your years yeah and yet, because of the stunted growth of the trauma that stops you in your tracks developing emotionally, as you get older, there are obviously more expectations on you, or at least age-appropriate expectations that you can't fulfill 
because internally you're still that little child, that still little traumatized, frightened child, and you're screaming on the inside for somebody to see it, and they can. Another thing that they talk about is that um, children who who live in trauma all the time have a hyper vigilance, so you're hyper aware of your surroundings, of you being in danger, of danger being in your presence, and yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah, you would be the last person to, to actually see the danger. To know that. Yeah, that, that that tape I listened to where your woman was explaining the girl who's walking down an alleyway, who's an abuse victim and who, a trauma victim, is walking down an alleyway and she knows just the footprints behind her is dangerous. She knows, but she's unlikely to take herself or remove herself from that situation because what she does then is go into survival mode and she goes into disassociation, and so she's not present. Yeah. So anything can happen to her, and that's why. Victims of abuse, especially childhood victims of abuse, often are victims of rape. When I was doing listening to the stuff I couldn't reading about this complex post-traumatic stress disorder, I got in such a bad mood. I couldn't believe it. See, I just realised what it was underneath it all. It's the devastation of how, as a child, were you supposed to live? Like, when you look at the damage that goes so deep, it's really difficult to figure out how you will ever fully recover from that. And it's hard because every time we take a step forward, it is that old feeling of taking a step forward and taking 10 back. It was the first time I think when we were doing any piece of work that I genuinely felt hurt for the child. I just felt, you poor thing. Like, what hope had you got? Yeah, I was just thinking <laughs> there's no end to it. It's like you are a computer and you have been programmed. And I don't care what you learn or how good you get. You're programmed. So your automatic default mode is to go back to that program. You never uninstall it. I wouldn't know how to uninstall it. Well, we've been doing it. How you do it is piece by piece. There's no other way to do it. But you, we won't live that long. You're doing it. You've done an um, you've done a tremendous amount. You don't even realise yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I know I've learned a lot. But like you, I just feel... There'll never be enough. There'll I understand now the absolute need to dissociate, to compartmentalise, because if you didn't, there is absolutely no way, even from one episode of my abuse, if I was to have that all in one place, stored all in one place, I wouldn't be able to survive. My disassociation. I am so good when I'm out of it. I'm so good. I can function. I can listen. I can empathize. I can sort your problems out. I can get things done. So why would I want to move? And then I get annoyed because like yesterday, chaos here. I told you everybody was here together. Kids were running and screaming. Oh, bedlam. But it was lovely. There was something really nice and comforting about it. And it reminded me of our family when there's just, you know, that's just the way it was. Just as quick now, I have to cook. Like I have 25 here. What am I going to do with them? But then I function and I function really well. So there's no real desire to come out of that. It's robotic like. I can get things done. But when I actually enter myself, I can't remember my own name. And more importantly, what makes it the con- what brings in the complex bit as well is because the person who's causing you the trauma is a, supposed a, to be nurturing it's your you. primary caregiver though it's 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 whoever is the most important say person in your life is normally the one that's causing the ongoing trauma 
and that's where the conflict comes in and the confusion comes in yeah i suppose like the, the problem is like we're trying to share our story and we're trying to help people but i can't get over every time we do this i learn something more about myself it's not that i think i know everything but i'm shocked it's it's like it takes me to another level and i'm kind of pissed off that there's still so many levels i haven't reached and i'm thinking like i don't think i'll live long enough to get to the roots of it see now here's where the difference is and i think this is why we do what we do if your train of thought and your behavior patterns and your abuse is interrupted earlier than ours was i didn't fully even engage in therapy until i was in my 40s the point that i feel when i'm doing something like this is because if mine my thought patterns and belief systems had been interrupted earlier i wouldn't be at the stage i'm at now i would have got to where i am now earlier which means i wouldn't be waiting until i'm in my 70s to finally get the ah okay that's it and hopefully the fact the information that we've put out there in our books is going to ensure that people don't have to wait so long because it was the information we weren't in possession of we'd no chance to get awareness or understanding because we didn't have the information we had to get that ourselves and hopefully for people coming down the line we've cut that piece out for them like i know there's benefits to what we've done ourselves personally never mind what we're doing now i know there's benefits but even now i do get pissed off I'm visualizing myself as a child and the trauma that I lived in on a daily basis that never left. My biggest issue is like it, it is like slavery. It is like being in a prison of sorts. And then when it ends, like when you're a teenager and it ends, your prison is just expanded. You've just got a bigger prison. You're not free. You know, the villain might be gone out of the story but you're still conditioned now and now you've got to navigate in a world where internally nothing has changed for you you've now become this frightened person you're left to undo all of that damage i remember thinking when we were when we first start dealing with the abuse that dealing with my abuse as a child was much easier for me than dealing with my abuse as a teenager because as much as a child takes responsibility for everything and i understand that because i know i did it but as a teenager it was really more difficult because you expect more from when you're older how hard we are on ourselves but we are a lot harder on ourselves as we got older yeah we had the capacity to think the child was a victim but the older you got we got less and less forgiving of ourselves and the hatred grew as well. It's difficult for you to understand. But I remember we were giving a talk somewhere. And this woman was saying to me. Don't be ridiculous. Like you were 16. 16. And it wouldn't dawn on you. To get out. <laughs> I was playing beds. And on a swing and a slide in the playground when I was 17. Like, But my mind was much younger. I wouldn't have been able for an adult world. Like, I couldn't hang around with the girls from my school and my class. I hung around with you. And I'm five years younger than you. And although <coughs> it doesn't matter now, when we were kids, like, five-year gap in chi- with children is a big gap. Yeah. 
you know, I remember the girls in school used to ask me questions that made me uncomfortable. And they wouldn't have been asking anything about abuse now. Just normal things like periods and boyfriends. And I was mortified because I couldn't be one of them. It would be better to clock out altogether and just get back to my norm, which was like, in a way, it's near it's hypocrisy, but it was like as a safety thing, staying at home, even though the home is where we were abused all the time. Standing far away, you can say, why would any child choose to like prefer the home where they're being abused to being out of that environment entirely? But when we understood our coping mechanisms and how much energy, all of our energy it took just to survive. We'd no room for anything else. Then you kind of go, yeah, why wouldn't you want to be at home? Everything else was terrifying. Yeah. He didn't hit us, you know, he wasn't violent. He never had to. And that's the point. With that Stockholm Syndrome, you just have to believe the threat. And no matter what he said, I believed he was capable of doing it. In terms of Stockholm Syndrome, the one thing it does do, it gives you an understanding why victims of abuse have conflicted emotions towards their abuser it's a coping mechanism again and it's a survival technique whereby you align yourself with the abuser in in the hopes they won't hurt you so much well it is it's one like you're you're buried in trauma it's all you know and you know there's no escape you can't get out of this right so you're absolutely powerless you have to be obedient and the more obedient you are the better chance for your survival and I'm sure when he said he was going to kill you, he didn't literally mean that. But he never had to hit me, you know. And he did hit me, but he never had to. He only had to threaten me. And I absolutely firmly believed he'll kill me. And absolutely, I'll never survive it. We all learned very early that the crying and the begging him to stop, and specifically when he was on top of you and you couldn't breathe and you're asking him to stop and you're crying your eyes out, you learned really quickly that got you nowhere made things worse we learned to survive and we learned all the things we required he owned us he could do what he liked us and we knew that what and did yet you do the conflict that you both talk about a lot is that uh seeing not wanting to see him as a monster and seeing some good in him but i do remember being able to separate the two i don't think we experienced the same man all three of us um I never heard I never heard him saying things like I'm sorry. No, neither did I, but I do remember him sitting down having conversations with me. But I felt privileged to be part of a conversation that I didn't understand. And I do remember he used to come in to me and Dave at about twelve o'clock at night to go for a, a walk around the block. It seems madness, but I lived for that because it was the only time in my life I actually experienced him not being disgusting towards that's what the Stockholm says as well that when he is nice you misinterpret that that he loves you and Paul you would have never admitted that you loved him and oh you I, know, I know you would have never like I think I loved him and I think I hated him I think there was many times I wished him dead no I wouldn't have went to knock him down the car like you but like I wished he'd stop I think most children that are being abused don't want to break up the family they don't want him punished they just wanted to stop I just really think it's amazing that we survived at all. But then having all the beliefs that there's something wrong with you, you're carrying all the shame and the weight of that and not understanding what you're ashamed of and this constant fear of being caught or being caught out that if people really knew me. Like that was dreadful and that was constant. But we would have had no 
understanding of what the fuck that was about. It was almost like you're walking around constantly feeling guilty and fear of being caught. And yeah, when you looked around, there was no reason for you to be caught. There was no reason for you to be guilty. It didn't make sense, but it really, really messed with your head. You were less likely to ever get out of that situation was the fact that he was the employer as well as the father. And if he had his way, you would have never gone out in society ever. You would have stayed in that house where he controlled everything. Get it. I got a job outside the house one time, but he did his utmost to make sure that I didn't stick that. I didn't care. I went to work and I would have been scared shitless in that job. He taught by pushing me out early one morning to go out and look for a job, which nearly, you can imagine, <laughs> the fucking trauma that caused. But I, I aligned myself with a neighbour and we went around knocking on doors. But I did get one. I was traumatised in the place. I was there about two weeks. He kept waiting for me to fall flat and come back. But I didn't know I had a choice, stupidly. It was nothing to do with being brave or anything. Yeah. I just stuck it out and then one day he said, we're after getting an order in, you're going to have to leave that job. And I thought, woohoo. I had two jobs outside of the house. The first job was I got a job down in the shop. But it was the old days where you were supposed to add up stuff when people asked. I can't add. I think I lasted two hours and your man said, look, this doesn't suit you, go home. The other job I got was you two got me a job in a restaurant as a waitress. That It cost me money to do the job. (laughs) I made 50 cent. I spilt everything and I did didn't even last one night so i had lots of reasons to be convinced i was incapable of working outside the house everything i did to prove him wrong i felt always proved him right he believed we couldn't manage without him because there was lots of evidence to prove that we couldn't live without him we and yeah we were very aware he never did any work we did all the work <laughs> we weren't how fucking stupid is that like no it's because we never question it and all we ever were told was his perception of something and we owned it like it was ours and in another sense he always seemed to be moving he's the only one I know that could move that much and do nothing you see there are times in our life that I know I felt we were all on the same hymn sheet as in we all hated him the day he was in the factory where he knocked himself out well that was we were in the factory sewing away getting electrocuted (laughs) instead of a doorway it was a hole knocked a square hole now but short you know you'd have to bend to go in and it was down a step into the extended part of the factory so which was just a big concrete shell really and we were sewing away and I just happened to look through the doorway and saw what appeared to be a lump I just said ma'am and she said yeah I said what's that on the ground and she looked and she said, that's your father. <laughs> <laughs> and we all went into hysterics and we go, well, should somebody not check it? <laughs> <laughs> he was out there hitting his head. Going no, you see, we, we were disassociated. We didn't care. Yeah. He was out there knocking himself unconscious. <laughs> and there wasn't really a big rush to call an ambulance or anything, you know. I think the first time that I heard that more and more victims of childhood sexual abuse were being diagnosed with complex PTSD. I was kind of taken aback at first because I had no awareness that PTSD is what we had been through. And then when I thought about it and I thought, well, if it's being scientifically or psychologically acknowledged that we have been through the same or even more complex trauma than a, than a soldier who's been to war and seen the worst atrocities committed on man, by man, 
and we are being you know given the same diagnosis that they're getting and still they're not putting resources in place for us but the more i thought about it the more i thought well hang on a minute like if it is if there is an acknowledgement out there that it is as bad as we've been trying to say it is and trying to understand well then why why are we not getting the help that's needed like i really feel I feel we really got a bum deal and victims are still getting a bum deal. People that haven't been affected or so-called say they haven't been affected by sexual abuse, they grew up with certain beliefs. And for them to even listen to the truth and the reality of what's happening in the world shakes at their beliefs as well. They can't hack that. Because you are convinced that what's going on outside your door doesn't impact what's inside your door. Yeah, you're right. People won't. There's a denial out there through uh, the inadequate provisions. There is a denial that, that it's worthy of the levels of support that it needs. Yeah, I don't know. I think this whole subject gets lip service and I don't know if you can change that. would absolutely refuse to, to believe that it's not changeable. I think it's going to take a few lobotomies. I just think we have to be relentless. I mean, there's so many nameless, faceless people fighting for this cause across the world. The decision to heal from childhood sexual abuse places you on the most important journey of your life. You're in charge of this journey. Only you know what works for you and what doesn't. It takes as long as it takes because there's no rush in it and there's no fake in it. You have to feel it. And just as the ripple of pain that you're in goes out and impacts all of those around you, so does the healing. And the more you heal, the more everyone around you benefits from your healing. Thanks for listening. Hopefully some of the information we have shared will resonate with you. This will give you a deeper understanding of yourself plus allow you to move into a space where you can show compassion to yourself. Please know that no matter how you feel or how you reacted to the abuse, it was normal. We are hopeful and optimistic that those in any position of power to bring about change will be moved into action so we can finally eradicate childhood sexual abuse. So please spread the word and share the information. Thank you. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or contact us directly on thecavanaughsisters at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Cavanagh Sisters Count Me In podcast. We're going to leave you with a quote which you can carry with you throughout your day. It isn't easy to overcome the impacts of childhood sexual abuse. But don't forget to notice and commend yourself every day for the fact that you are actually overcoming it. It takes a long time, so never doubt your progress and take stock of how far you've come. Just note to yourself your bravery, your courage for showing up and being able to give to this world when so much has been taken from you. You are amazing and never forget it.